If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of California Underground. We're very lucky tonight to have the mayor of Coronado, Richard Bailey, joining us right before Fourth of July weekend. I know it's a very busy weekend over in Coronado. So, Mr. Mayor, thank you for coming on taking the time before this very busy weekend to talk about local politics. How are you doing tonight? Hey, doing great, Phil. Thanks so much for having me on. Great. And as always, my trusty co-host Cynthia is here as well. I know she's got plenty of questions about local politics as well. She's been looking forward to this one. Um, Now, for people in San Diego, I would say you're pretty well known. You're like a local political celebrity. Um, But for people who are not San Diego people, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, how you got into politics? Um, you know, just basically your life story so that people know who you are. Yeah. In about 90 minutes or so, wrap it up then. Yeah. About Perfect. that, you know, Joe okay, Rogan yeah, style. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Um, yeah. So, uh, grew, uh, born and raised here in San Diego County and, uh, always had a fascination with public policy and politics, probably beginning, uh, in high school, went away to college and, uh, ended up majoring in business finance and started my career in the, uh, corporate finance world. But I kind of always had that uh, natural inclination and fascination with, with politics. It'd be the, the first thing I, I checked in the morning when I woke up and the last thing I'd want to read uh, before going to bed. And so fast forward to 2012, I um, I'd volunteered on a lot of campaigns in my free time. I was uh, working in corporate finance then, but a lot of my free time was spent going to different political functions. And it was in... June of 2012, I was driving home one day, driving across the bridge, heading back home to Coronado, and it just kind of hit me that, gosh, I'd really like to have more of a say in what goes on in local politics than simply casting a ballot uh, for my representatives every two to four years. And so I kind of thought, gosh, like, why not, why not run for local city council in Coronado? And I was very fortunate that at the time I had a, a great, great uh, work environment that gave me the flexibility to pursue um, this kind of career in public policy and won that first city council seat back in 2012, uh, ended up running for mayor in 2016, and then just got reelected uh, in November of 2020. So I've been at it for a while now. Awesome. So um, now you, you've been mayor for a while. Now that doesn't just mean you're just mayor of Coronado. One reason you wanted to hop on here and chat tonight was specifically about local politics at this local level. And if anybody follows the show, they know I always talk about how important local politics are, how they have such an impact on your daily life. And we're going to get into some things that are affecting people's daily lives here in San Diego. Um, One thing you're a part of that you've really educated me on is this organization called SANDAG. And I didn't even know what SANDAG was. It sounded like this big, mysterious world government entity, uh, at least on a San Diego County level. Um, Why don't you explain what SANDAG is in the context of San Diego? Absolutely. You know, to be honest, Phil, I think a lot of uh, local elected officials that aren't on SANDAG might have a hard time describing what SANDAG actually is and does. So you're certainly not alone and, and viewers and listeners uh, wouldn't be alone and not understand what Sandag is all about either. But it is arguably uh, one of the most important government bureaucracies uh, that our region has. So all throughout the nation and all throughout the state of California, there are organizations that are referred to as MPOs, meaning Metropolitan Planning Organizations. And the federal government and the state government rely on these MPOs to distribute state and federal funding. In Sandag's case, Sandag is the MPO for uh, the San Diego County region, and it is primarily responsible for doling out uh, dollars for large transportation projects within San Diego County. Its budget is about $1.3 billion per year, Some of those funds come from the federal government. Some of those funds come from the state and other funds are raised uh, locally through various uh, sales tax. The board of Sandag is comprised of a representative from all of the 18 cities within San Diego County 
and a representative from the county as well. So that's kind of a, the overall structure of, of what Sandag looks like. So the general goal is in a, a big county like San, uh, San Diego um, is to kind of get everyone to work together. Is that sort of the correct idea? Is that like the idealistic way to put it that they want these local governments to work together? Less about wanting the local governments to work together and more about that Sandag is a, a vehicle that can help implement transportation policy, transportation and housing policies um, within San Diego County. And because the board is comprised of representatives from all the local governments, ideally you would hope that they would work together. Um, that oftentimes is not the case, especially lately, but ideally that's what would happen. They would work together to solve transportation and housing related issues. And one of those issues that has been most controversial recently is this idea that they were floating, which was they wanted to create a mileage tax as part of the regional plan for transportation here in San Diego County. Um, talk about that a little bit and how that got started and where what happened to it now. And uh, is there a future for that type of plan in Sandeck? Definitely. Well, so... <clears throat> Uh, the bad news is that uh, the mileage tax is almost certainly going to be something that San Diego County voters uh, face at some point in the future, um, both from San Diego County and also from the state of California. But backing up for a second, kind of explaining um, how this came to be. Every five years, roughly, Sandag is obligated by state and federal law to develop what is known as a regional transportation plan. And that regional transportation plan is a 30-year forward-looking document that kind of help guides the organization um, and starts outlining what projects and what initiatives uh, Sandag wants to take on to you know, move the county forward in terms of transportation policy. Sandag goes ahead and they, they put an estimated figure on all the major transportation projects they want to do for the next 30 years. And then they have to come up with a reasonably anticipated funding source for these projects. The reason that's important, having these reasonable and uh, anticipated funding sources is important, is because oftentimes funding from the state and funding from the federal government is contingent on having some amount of local funding available for those projects. For example, mm -hmm. the uh, Midcoast Trolley line that just opened up a few months ago, that was a $2.2 billion project. Sandag brought roughly a billion dollars from local funds generated through local sales tax to that project. And then the federal gun, federal government chipped in a billion dollars as well. But if we hadn't had, if Sandag had not had that billion dollars of local funding available, the federal government would not have uh, matched it themselves. So regional transportation plan, 30 year forward looking document, they identify all the projects they want in there. They estimate the cost roughly, and then they go ahead and start figuring out. They start identifying anticipated funding sources. In this case, for the regional transportation plan, it's a $160 billion plan. The Sandag board and Sandag staff had identified three new sales tax increases to help fund this plan uh, happening in 2022, 2024, and 2028. They also identified um, including new tolls on basically every single freeway in San Diego County. So they wanted to charge you for driving on the highways in addition to the gas tax you're paying now. And they wanted to add on a, a surcharge to every single Uber and Lyft ride uh, someone would take. And then lastly, and most controversially, they anticipated receiving a, a large sum of funds from what is known as a vehicle mile travel tax, um, or the short form, the mileage tax, which would charge drivers um, anywhere from two to four cents locally um, for every mile they drove. And they would take all those funds and then use that to build out the regional transportation plan uh, for the next 30 years. So was there ever any discussion? I, I know you and I have talked about this, but was there any discussion about how they thought they were going to tax you per mile outside of, I guess, the most unintrusive way is they'd ask you to report your odometer year over year. 
um, on maybe a tax form or something like that. Or, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. And anything more yeah. intrusive than that, I would imagine, could be a Fourth Amendment violation that they're going to start tracking your cars. Um, was there ever any discussion of how they actually thought they were going to get get this accomplished? Um, there was zero discussion about how this would actually be administered. Let me rephrase that. There was a lot of discussion about how this would be administered, but there was zero clarity on um, what the end result would actually look like. So you raised the question about privacy concerns. Um, a lot of board members expressed privacy concerns as well. But because the staff is completely unaware of how this will actually be um, implemented because frankly the technology although it does exist it's never been implemented like anywhere in California or the the, the country for that matter yet um, they weren't quite sure how to answer those privacy concerns the state of California and the federal government are moving forward with pilot programs to evaluate various ways that a mileage tax could be implemented um, but so far they have not rolled those out in a in a mass way it is anticipated that somewhere between 2028 and 2032 is when we will start seeing a mileage tax at the at the state level and then almost certainly thereafter at the regional level. I mean, I guess the, the question, anybody listening and hearing this idea of a mileage tax, the first question that probably comes to mind is, isn't that the point of what the gas tax was for? Right. W wasn't this the whole point that they promised, oh, if we just add this tiny bit of tax on your gas, then it'll just be a consumption tax. Obviously, if you drive more, you'll pay more in tax. And that will fix all the roads and transportation here in California. Right. Um, and now they're saying on top of the gas tax, let's try out how many miles you drive. Does that seem like the, a, a right concern for a lot of people listening? Yeah. And that was a, that is a very valid concern. And that was a concern I raised as a board member. Um, and Sandex staff seemed to kind of get caught up in this where they would tell the board, oh, well, we would never incorporate a, a local um, mileage tax so long as the gas tax remained in effect. However, when you look at the regional transportation plans funding, you saw significant overlap between revenue coming from the gas tax during the same years that revenue was anticipated to come from the mileage tax. So just from the revenue projections in San Diego's own plan, they showed that, no, they, they weren't planning to have the gas tax repealed before implementing the mileage tax. They were going to implement both at the same time. Um, so that was, a, that was a big concern of mine because I think like, you know, most, most conservatives, most libertarians, most people that are center-right, and I would argue probably even most Democrats, um, all believe in paying, you know, your fair share. We might have different ideas of what paying your fair share is, but I'm a big believer in, you know, we should pay for the infrastructure you use. And if I drive a thousand miles um, on on the streets in in an all electric vehicle, and I effectively don't pay anything for the infrastructure I use, well, that's not necessarily fair to the person that say drove uh, a truck that gets, you know, 20 miles a gallon, who's paying quite a bit in gas tax for for the, that infrastructure. Um, so I think we can we can all agree that we should pay for the infrastructure we use. I think the question is, how do you do it in the most uh, efficient and fair way possible? Um, and I think that when you look at that regional transportation plan, charging a mileage tax on top of a gas tax, on top of new toll fees, um, on top of Uber and Lyft surcharges, on top of three additional sales taxes, all to pay for essentially the $160 billion plan when only roughly a third of that funding is going to go to roads and highways. Mm -hmm. That to me is not fair at all. And you had made the point because a lot of this had to do with, um, they want to expand public transportation, right? One of their big goals is we want to expand public transportation across the County. We want to add more buses. They've added a new trolley line. Um, but you did a, a, a piece, I remember I caught it on KUSI, where you started in Coronado and we're trying mm -hmm. to get to La Jolla all by public transportation. And how right. long did it take you? Yeah, it, we started at City Hall in Coronado and I wanted to try out the new blue line, the new Midcoast Trolley Line extension. There was that $2.2 billion project I started earlier. Um, we left around 7 a.m., and it took an hour and 40 minutes, I believe, either an hour and 26 or an hour and 40 minutes uh, on public transit. And 
we you know we mapped out how long it would take by car if we left at the exact same time and it would have taken about 26 minutes mm-hmm. um and that you know here it is this brand new 2.2 billion dollar trolley extension that both sandag and mts are hailing as the future transportation in san diego and yet it takes so long to to get to your final destination and your final destination has to be within walking distance of wherever it's dropped wherever that transit's dropping you off for you to even use it that you are so limited in your destinations that you can go to that it just my point was to try to demonstrate like how unrealistic this is for the average person um and i think that segment kind of drove home that point and, and we're going to be doing a lot more of those leading up to uh lean up to november and i remember one of the replies was i forget which politician he was either gloria or somebody like that replied to your your uh this video and said well this just proves that we need to invest more in public transportation i think it was mts oh okay it was mts who said this just proves our point that you need to invest more into public transportation um but it's one of those things where i feel like i don't think more is never enough when it comes to public transportation and a lot of the goals of these politicians it is a yeah. bottomless pit. A um, couple of points that you know some of the viewers might be interested in. There is this narrative out there, especially amongst some of the left of center board members on Sandag, that we can't, quote, keep expanding freeways. And we can't keep doing what we have been doing in terms of transportation funding. We need to give even more to transit. And it's based on this premise that we just haven't been spending enough on public transit over the past 24 years. But the fact of the matter is we have spent of all local transportation funding dollars on public transit over the last 24 years. And yet transit ridership as a share of overall commuters is down. It's it's less than 2% now. And it was at a peak around 3% um, before COVID, but it's it's down to less than 2%. And that trend was happening even before the, the pandemic. So it just kind of begs the question like, you know, if you build it, will they come? And the answer is no. The answer is no, they do not come and ride transit. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that, including San Diego County is it's a very large geographic region. And one thing, you know, one of the many things I think is hard for Sandag board members to keep in mind is that when you go visit, you know, uh, New York City or you go mm-hmm. visit Paris and you see this uh, this transit system they have there, and they come back and they say, gosh, we should be able to have a transit system like that here in San Diego County. Well, the fact of the matter is the Manhattan borough of New York, which holds 1.5 million people, could fit entirely within the city limits of Encinitas, which has, I think, a population of like 50 or 60,000 people. So you would have to increase the population density of Encinitas 30-fold to basically have a population density that could justify the type of transit system that they have in Manhattan. The entire city limits of Paris could fit with inside uh, the city limits of Carlsbad. And so you'd have to increase this uh, population density of Carlsbad um, by, you know, 20 fold to have to have what it would take to have that similar type of transit system, which gets to the question I think of, well, are we here to serve the transit system or is the transit system here to serve us? Um, And I think too often Sandag board members and my friends on the other side of the aisle kind of get that exactly reversed. They look at us as here to serve a transit system versus a transit system serving us. So speaking about, you know, friends across the aisle, um, we're, you're in politics and then mm-hmm. Phil and I, we follow politics a lot too. So we're well aware of the Just breakdown of, I casually yeah. follow politics. Yeah. Yeah. We're well aware of the breakdown of like, so by nature, Sandag is technically nonpartisan. Um, a lot, the municipality elections, they're technically bipartisan. Um, but Sandag, just saw the gist of it, doesn't seem like it. You know, for the viewers, I think they'd be curious about if at the top of your head or maybe just a rough estimate, like how partisan is Sandag? Like how many people are Democrats? How many are Republicans? Because in my opinion, I don't think it's no surprise that there is, you know, a part of the Sandag the people that make up Soundag, you know, they lean a certain way in regards to like the mileage tax. And then there's some people who oppose it. I know for the San Diego Republican Party, um, 
you know, for the elect, for the people we're endorsing, like for the Lincoln Club, you know, we were looking if they were going to oppose whatever Sandag was doing. Like, what's your take on that? Yeah, yeah. Great question. The all of the representatives to Sandag are technically elected through nonpartisan um, races. Right. So like me being the mayor of Coronado, although I have my party affiliation when I'm up for the ballot, um, it's not like you see an R or a D next to your name. So all of the Sandag representatives come from nonpartisan offices. However, there is very much a partisan bent to to Sandag. So of the 19 board members um, right now, we have 10 that are left of center and we have eight that are right of center. And then the city of Escondido actually does not have a representative um, at this time. They they actually pulled their representative and they don't have any representation at Sandag at this time. So it's it's roughly a 10 to 8 or 11 to 8 um, left of center majority on Sandag. Now, prior to 2018, Sandag had a really interesting voting um, procedure. So you had the 19 board members, right? 19 board members representing their 18 cities and then also the county. And in order to pass anything at Sandag, you had to have an affirmative vote from a majority of the individual board members. So essentially a tally vote. So you had, a, had a, an affirmative vote from majority of the Sandag board members. But in addition to that tally vote, to pass anything, you also had to have a vote from enough cities that a majority of the San Diego County population was represented. So you have, have a, had to have a majority tally vote and you had to have a majority vote from the cities representing the majority of the population in San Diego County. Effectively, you could think of it as the U.S. House representing that population vote and the U.S. Senate representing the interests of those individual jurisdictions. And that voting method like really forced collaboration, right? You, you couldn't have the bigger cities just say, hey, we're going to take a bunch of tax revenue from all the smaller cities that are paying into this and use it for how we want to use it. And you couldn't have a lot of smaller cities that would try to make their priorities for their smaller cities higher than what the big cities wanted. So you, everyone was forced to work together in a very collaborative way. So little cities could essentially block anything and big cities could also block anything if they wanted to. But now the vote, but after 2018, the voting procedures changed. This is commonly referred to in the news as the quote, weighted vote. Lorena Gonzalez introduced a bill that got rid of that population and, um, and individual city voting. And they go now just strictly with population. So you can have a situation where uh, 15 board members feel a certain way and they vote a certain way and they get overridden by four board members. Not just wow. like, not just a veto, but cramming anything through. So what we've seen happen is we've seen votes happen where the city of San Diego, the city of Encinitas, Chula Vista and National City all get together and they vote in a way that is at complete odds with the other 15 board members and it passes anyways. So to your point, Cynthia, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk of how the Sandag board skews now, and it does skew pretty far left because it can be entirely driven by just those four cities. And that's one reason why when we, I was talking on the podcast pre-show about how important local politics is and people don't really pay attention to these races is getting people like yourself into local politics does have that kind of bubble up effect of like yes. there are going to be more people and you've talked about it as well where we have to keep like uh rebecca jones up in san marcos we have to make sure she's reelected so that we keep that seat in sandag and it's Absolutely. very important about the balance of power um, it's not just that local jurisdiction it's the voice that you in representation you now have on sandag correct exactly that that's really what it's all about um, and yeah, so if you are, say you're in the city of, and if you're in the city of Santee, you might have nothing in common with someone that lives in Encinitas, but I guarantee you, you're both commuting to and from work and to and from dropping off kids from soccer practice, to and from the grocery store, to and from all these different life events you might have. 
and you're going to want sound transportation policy. So you now, being from Santee, you should care who the representative is from Encinitas because that representative from Encinitas is going to serve on the Sandag board and is going to be casting votes that directly affect um, how you move about throughout the county. So recently there was a, uh, a little bit of a scandal with Sandag. Um, I think it was the, the head of Sandag, what do you call him, the president or the chairman, uh, was found to be spending lavishly on steak dinners and all this stuff, and it was improper use of funds. Um, do you want to comment on that and uh, what happened with all that? If we're talking about all this money that Sandag wants to raise for itself through all these new taxes, we should know if they're spending it improperly, correct? Yeah, and the short answer is yes, they, they spent some taxpayer dollars improperly. There's no question about it. Um, a few months ago, um, it was discovered that uh, Sandag leadership, uh, specifically Hassan Akrata, who's the CEO of the organization, uh, was spending using the Sandag credit card to rack up some pretty sizable uh, dinner bills with some pretty high profile politicians such as Lorena Gonzalez and Nathan Fletcher. I think it was a $300 uh, meal at a, a nice steakhouse here in town. Um, not bad. Not bad, not bad. Even though neither Nathan or Lorena were actually on Sandag, so that was kind of interesting that he'd be taking them out to dinner. Um, uh, several other large expenditures, which caught the public's attention. But I think really what's, what spoke volumes to me is that there were credit card receipts showing that Hassan had actually put his coffee on the tax paradigm. Mm -hmm. And like, is that really, are you really expecting the taxpayers to pick up your $7 cup of coffee at Starbucks? Like, I know it just I know it seems so small and so petty, but I think it really speaks volumes to how some at the Sandag offices actually think of um, taxpayers. Well, yeah, I mean, it's especially in times like these where you're getting squeezed at the pump, you're getting squeezed at the grocery store. Um, and it just seems like there's a never ending parade of taxes, new ideas for taxes in right. California. And then you're supposed to be you're idealistically you're supposed to be paying this money to Sandag to help pay your fair share to pay for infrastructure and all this. And then you have the CEO who's whining and dining politicians. And uh, it's funny. It just seems like those two names, Nathan Fletcher and Lorena Gonzalez seem to come up in a lot of situations. Yeah. Um, they always seem to have their, their noses in every kind of San Diego, San Diego kind of business. They, uh, they have a large influence here. Very, very powerful figures. They really are. Um, Obviously, uh, Lorena Gonzalez, former assemblywoman, and now um, she was a powerful union leader, and then she went to the assembly, and now she's an even more powerful labor union leader. And Nathan Fletcher, of course, chairman of, um, of the board of supervisors and also chair of MTS. So, um, yeah, they're, they make a lot of policies, that's for sure. So how much of this, and I wanted to go back to real quick, and then we can kind of transition bringing up Nathan Fletcher to county supervisors. How much of this money gets raised in the billions and billions of dollars that then gets funneled back to unions who then complete the construction projects and the transportation projects who then take the money that we've given them and then they take that money and funnel it back to Democrats like Lorena Gonzalez, Nathan Fletcher and all them who yeah. support unions because they say they support worker rights. But right. Yeah. Yeah, it would be it would be tough to put to put a dollar figure on it, but I I offer this up for for the listeners and viewers out there, and this is something that I was not as widely reported as it should have been. Um, this to me was extremely underhanded, and it, in my opinion, I, I think it appears, and I'm darn near certain that Sandag uh, intention whether they intentionally did this or not was effectively circumventing election law are attempting to circumvent election law recently. So I'll get to that in a second. So backing up to fall of last year, fall of 2021, labor unions come to Sandag and they say, hey, we want a project labor agreement, meaning that all future Sandag projects will have to be built with labor union work at certain at a uh, certain rate. Well, the labor unions backed a lot of the candidates that are now on the Sandag board. And so guess what? 
Sandag mm -hmm. board went ahead and in a split vote approved those project labor agreements. Project labor agreements tend to add anywhere from 10 to 25% to the total project costs, right? Because now you're, you're pulling from a very a much smaller pool of potential laborers and, and contractors, and you're only now going with labor union guys. So the costs get added uh, pretty significantly to these projects. So labor unions back candidates, those candidates for office, then get on the Sandag board and those Sandag board members then vote to approve these project labor agreements, which benefit labor unions. Okay. Fast forward a few months later, December of 2021, Sandag board approves the regional transportation plan, which includes $160 billion in new projects. Well, guess who wants to see the funding passed to actually go out and build those projects? The labor units, right? Because mm -hmm. they have a lot on the line now. So what happens is Sandag has a choice where Sandag can to put that first sales tax measure on the ballot, which they anticipated being on the ballot in 2022, the Sandag board can, with a simple up-down vote, put that sales tax measure on the ballot in November for voters. However, if they do that, it takes a two-third voter threshold to pass because it was initiated by Sandag. But if the labor unions put that measure on the ballot through a citizen's initiative, it only takes a 50% voter threshold to pass. Now, here's the kicker. Sandag, as an agency, neither Sandag as an agency nor the board members on Sandag are allowed to coordinate with any citizen's initiative. It's illegal. So again, against election law. So what Sandag said, effectively, is, hey, you know this funding for this extremely important $160 billion regional transportation plan. You know the sales tax measure that we said, yep, we reasonably anticipate coming to fruition in 2022. Well, we are not going to put it on the ballot ourselves. We are just going to hope that a citizen's initiative comes through and puts it on the ballot for us. And guess what? Labor unions started to do that. So Sandex waited on the sidelines, not lifting a finger to put their own measure on the ballot. And as of, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, labor unions trying to put this measure on the ballot. They had to collect a uh, hundred and something thousand signatures to qualify the measure. It They fell short of the number of signatures they needed. And so now that measure is not going to appear on the ballot. So now Sandag is out of a huge funding source that they were anticipating. Mm -hmm. And this is going to force Sandag into a corner that might require them to actually build uh, or develop a new regional transportation plan. So I look at this and just thought, man, this is poetic justice. Here you had Sandag trying to circumvent election law by getting in bed with the labor unions and the labor unions drop the ball. So great. That's, that's what they get. That's what they deserve. Yeah, it's it's uh, un, uh, definitely an unholy alliance, it seems like, between the two of them. And it's just a vicious cycle of money in, money out. And I mean, you can follow the money with all of this. I mean, it's easy to follow who donates to which candidate and... Most of them are unions, and then the union money backs Democrats pretty much 100% here in California. Yep. No uh, question. It's just they, they raise a lot of money, and then you have people like Lorraine Gonzalez who create laws like AB5 that then goes back to help the unions, and um, who I think she blocked me, actually, so I'm proud of that, that she blocked me. She blocked me, me too, on both her personal and her assembly account. It's the right yeah, of she blocked me. Yeah, it's yeah. the right of honor. I think I called her out too many times for, you know, how does she like her new cushy labor union job? And then that was it. She blocked me. So she nice. didn't like that too much um, for someone who acts like she's very tough and that she can take it. She likes to block as soon as possible. You know, a lot. I've, I've noticed a lot of politicians tend to have some pretty thin skin. That's that's very true. And speaking yeah. of people with thin skin, uh, Nathan Fletcher, who you brought up, um, who is the current chair of the county supervisors. And again, this is, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the, again, this is why local politics matters is the board essentially flipped from, even though it's nonpartisan, it, it is a, it is a nonpartisan race, but everyone sort of knows who's running. Um, it did flip in the last election and went from Kristen Gaspar, who was a Republican. It was a three, two Republican County supervisor board to right around COVID, now all of a sudden we had um, Lawson Remmer who jumped in, who is 
a Democrat, far lefter Democrat. Um, and because of that three two majority, now you have Nathan Fletcher, who is the chair of the county supervisors. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and really, when you fast, when you rewind the clock, just I think maybe six years, no, no, four years now, uh, the board was a 5-0 Republican uh, Democrat majority. So there were no Democrats on the board. And uh, within a short order, now it's a 3-2 Democratic Republican majority. And you've seen some drastic, drastic policy changes, right? Like you've seen the county, the county's trying to take on everything now from trying to cure racism. I don't know how government agency is going to, going to do that to trying to redefine what, what a woman is. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure we needed a new definition there. Um, it's like, hey, like, guys, we have got to get back to the basics uh, of what local government is all about. We can't be all things to all people. We're, we're oftentimes not good enough at even what we're, our core responsibilities are. So I think we really got to get back to focusing on the basics. And one thing um, that, and maybe this is just my tinfoil hat, is it feels like ever since Nathan Fletcher has become the chair, it seems like San Diego has become the testing ground for some of these national policies that are being run out. So yeah. it was back last year in August, they rolled out this resolution of we take, we're, we're going to start pushing back or we're going to, it was very wishy-washy and mushy how they were going to do it that they want to start going after misinformation. And, and in Nathan Fletcher's words, he wants to combat and use county resources to combat what was called misinformation. Right. We then saw the Ministry of Truth, or excuse me, the Disinformation Governance Board will be rolled out at the federal level. So it feels like ever since then, we've been seeing a lot of those leftist policies yeah. being tried out here in San Diego County. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll give Nathan Fletcher um, a lot of credit. Nathan and I are... You know, we do work together from time to time. Um, we are on very, very opposite sides of just about every single issue uh, you can find. Uh, but I'll give Nathan credit, Nathan credit for this. Like he's he's he is effective at advancing the policies um, for the left of center of uh, of San Diego County, like the far left of center. Like he, he's been effective at that. And um, I think that's to the detriment of our county. I think that um, oftentimes has not benefited you know everyday San Diegans but he has been effective at advancing those far left policies. There's no question about it. And Cynthia, I didn't want to step on you. You had a question. Go ahead. Oh, so, and fun fact too, like you brought up, you know, combating misinformation. I remember when he did that, um, he bragged on Twitter that other county supervisors followed suit and he bragged about that. And then I also remember um, during the last session for the state assembly, Akila Weber, Dr. Akila Weber, she also introduced a similar resolution. Um, I can't recall if it made it, if it garnered the votes or if it made it out of the assembly and it just kind of died because, um, you know, the appropriations just of timing. Um, so I tend to have, I remember that. Um, a question that I had is also, you know, I'll be honest, like talking about this, maybe some viewers or listeners, they, if they're right of center, like they might think that there's no hope. Um, do you think there's hope? Like, for example, like one thing that we try to emphasize is following along what's happening locally. And I know one thing that I give you credit for, because you did look lead the effort on this when there was a mileage tax proposed you were encouraging everyone to as constituents to call your elected officials who were members of sand who are board members of sandag you know email and call these people let them know that you're opposed to this do you think those kinds of things make a difference even to those members of sandag that you know for a fact are on your side because i have also heard like hey even if you know if you think that, you know, their votes are dependent on it, like they could be swayed. And then I've also heard, you know, the other side of advice, even if you know that, like, for example, like I know if you were my representative, like I know you vote how I would want to vote. Um, but I've also heard like it's important you still let them know that you support this, too, because, for example, I would imagine, you know, if you were on a board meeting for Sandak and you have like a a data sheet like oh hey this amount of people called me you know that agree with me on this like do those things matter do you think it makes a difference when constituents yes. you know make the, their no, their voices known yeah no question about it it definitely matters um i'll give you a quick example leading into the adoption of the regional transportation plan which included that mileage tax 
we had only received, I want to say somewhere between 200 public comments on the regional transportation plan with, with about 72, with about, with about three to five days left before we we're going to approve the plan, all from special interest groups that had a lot to gain by us advancing this plan, whether environmental groups or local labor, labor unions. However, as we started spreading the word that, hey, regular folks in San Diego County, here's what's in the plan. You got, if this plan passes, you are going to be on the hook for all these sales tax increases, this mileage tax, et cetera, contact your representative. And we made it very easy for them to contact all board members, but specifically easy to contact their board member. So if you were if you were writing in from Encinitas, you could write to all the Sandag board members very easily, but, but you could also write to uh, Catherine Blakespear, who's a representative from, Sandag representative from Encinitas. In those last three to five days, we had over 6,000 people write to the board. And so if you're from a small, now 6,000 people in a county of 3.3 million might not sound like many people, but if you are from a small city like Imperial Beach or like, um, heck, even Encinitas, Solana Beach, Del Mar, Santee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, most of the cities here in San Diego County, if you see 6,000 emails come into your inbox, like it was ping, 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 ping every day for, for, for three to five days, that's going to make a difference. And I know it made a difference because the day before the vote on the regional transportation plan, you had every single Sandag board member with the exception of one say, we're going to adopt this plan tomorrow. And yes, it's going to include the mileage tax, but I'm not actually for the mileage tax anymore. And I promise to you voters, we will come back and take this mileage tax out. So they were at least willing to pay lip service because they saw just how many people were opposed to it. So yes, I do have hope. I really do have hope for the future of San Diego County. Um, you know what? I, I actually have not given up on the Democratic Party. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a registered Republican. I think re the Republican Party, uh, we haven't done ourselves a lot of favors over the last decade or two. Um, but I do think the I do think that the general thrust of the Republican Party of conserving government, making it smaller, bringing decision making closer to the um, closer to the people that decisions actually affect and really focusing on the core responsibilities of local governments are policies that resonate with the general public. Public safety, sound infrastructure, these transportation projects, um, making it so that people can get to and from work easier, making it so that people don't have to join a labor union just because they want to be an independent contractor. Like these are the types of common sense policies that register with people across the political spectrum. And I think that if the Republican Party can lead on policy, versus trying to lead with their party, they will appeal to a, a, a broad range of voters. And whether or not it's a Republican office or a Democrat that was kind of brought to the center because of being in a you know stiff competition with Republicans, I think that will overall better serve our, our region. So I haven't given up on our region. Um, and I think the more we can focus on policy, the better off our region will be. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think... Uh... One thing that I always gripe about the Republican Party here in California is that their major policy platform is we're not Democrats. Right. And that can't be a policy. You can't no. be the contrarian party. The contrarian party or the contrarian candidate rarely ever wins. Right. Um, you can't just be I'm not that person because people want to vote for something and feel like they are getting something. Right. And if you have a Republican Party who doesn't really propose anything outside of a lot of the old and, and you know i'm sorry lord reagan for saying this but strike me down if you want but uh saying the old reagan talking points of like the 80s and lower taxes and all this stuff there's right. a lot of issues that are specific to california now that require different policy solutions than they did back in the 1980s absolutely absolutely and in many ways, I think local government officials, they try to become something bigger than what local government should be, right? You have these local government figures that are trying to talk about talk about abortion issues and gay marriage issues and um, foreign policy and immigration policy and, and all this stuff that's completely outside the core responsibilities of what a local government actually does. Like local government, we provide for the public safety through uh, through good policing, 
um, through laws that actually allow police officers to apprehend people that are committing committing crimes. Uh, we're supposed to focus on our roads and our bridges and our highways, and we're supposed to accomplish those first two objectives in a fiscally responsible manner. And if we could just focus on the basics, like the right one, you end up being nothing to no one. And now, you know, we have politicians talking about, oh, we, I love it when local politicians especially talk about, ah, oh, we need to keep the Earth's climate from changing. It's like these guys can't even keep people from crapping on the sidewalks of their own cities. It's like, hey, start start there. Like, clean up your own backyard first before you try to keep the climate from changing. Like, let's just get back to the basics and focus on doing what's right for our constituents. And I think the voters will notice that and they will reward those um, policymakers that are, are fulfilling those obligations. Well, even Gavin Newsom today put out that video. I mean, that is some quick responsive video. If he put on his shirt and his hat and ran up to the the burnt out forest to record that, I mean, talk about taking advantage of a political moment to talk about the Supreme Court ruling in the EPA. Just to talk about amongst all those burnt out trees, this is why we have to focus in California on climate change. It's like, or... Or you could do stuff that's in your power, like wildfire management and forest management and water management and all these things that are actually in your control. But you don't want to talk about these because it's it's the bigger policy. So, right. And and it's not you know, it's not sexy. It's not going to grab the headlines to say, hey, this is we're making an update to our forest management policy. We're making an update to our water conservation policy. Like that doesn't sound nearly as sexy as Governor Newsom spends $54 billion to fight climate change. Well, good, good luck. You know, thanks, thanks for wasting more money. So in, in kind of wrapping all of this up, because I want to kind of bring it back to Coronado um, sure. and how all of this big web of local politics interacts. We've talked about Sandag. I know you've talked about the kind of supervisors um, and just recently, you've been sort of going back and forth with the county supervisors, specifically Dr. Wilma Wooten. Um, they changed the testing on the water in Coronado, whether it's safe to go in the water or not, especially right before Fourth of July. This is a big right. problem. Uh, talk about that for a little bit. <laughs> All right. So this this is rich and it's going to be reminiscent of um, the various public spaces uh, discussion on closing down the public spaces during the whole uh, beginning of covid where things were being shut down that didn't make sense to shut things down. So the County of San Diego is legally responsible. They've been tasked legally by the state of California for doing water quality testing in our oceans and bays throughout San Diego County. They have, there are two state sanctioned tests that the San Diego County Department of Health, who's led by Wilma Wuhan, can utilize when doing these water quality tests. Now in Coronado, historically, our beaches get closed um, on occasion, usually only after when there's been a large rainstorm or if there's been a a big sewage impact in Tijuana. Either they had to shut off the the sewage treatment plant in Tijuana or there's a a big malfunction or something happened. Those are usually the only two reasons we ever see the beaches in Coronado closed. We have never seen the beaches in Coronado closed during the summer months. Why? Because the water quality test that the county has done for the last, you know, decades, several decades show that the water is clean and it's safe enough to swim in. Well, beginning May 5th of uh, 2022, San Diego County Department of Health switched from one state-sanctioned water quality test to the other. And they are now the only county in the entire nation that utilizes this other test. From May 5th through today, Coronado beaches have been shut down 18 out of approximately 52 days. It's about a third of all the days during the summer months. Put that in perspective. We've once again never had our beaches closed at all during the summer of all previous months. So sit down with the county, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on here. I asked them under the other testing methodology, because they're still using both tests, but they're only using the new test to determine whether or not beaches should be shut down. So they still have the testing results from the other test they're using. I asked, hey, on this other test you you have been using, 
would the beaches be closed? Like, are we seeing any environmental changes? That any new sewage coming from Mexico, or are the environmental conditions this, they the environmental conditions are the same as they always have been? There is no change in water quality conditions from May fourth to May fifth to June thirtieth. Yet those beaches beaches were closed every single day um, then. And there's no change in the water quality between what we see now when beaches are closed and what we've seen every single summer for the past you know, 20, 30 years where the beaches were open. So we had a lot of back and forth on this. Um, I have some really steep concerns that the threshold the county is using to shut down the beaches is not appropriate and is not reflective of a uh, sound public policy, let alone actually protecting the public's health. Um, so we've had a lot of back and forth with the county. And the county, just as of today, decided they were going to change their protocols on testing. So they have this new test. They're still moving forward with the new test. But they've said, you know what? Instead of closing down the beaches outright, we are just going to put up warning signs when thresholds are, are surpassed on your beaches beginning tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is the kickoff to the July 4th weekend. So I, I, I flat out asked him on the call, um, are you only making this change because of the July 4th weekend? And they said, effectively, they said, yeah. So I asked, I said, look, at the end of the day, we are only concerned with, is the water safe? So if you're telling me that the water quality is the same on July 1st, when you're going to allow people to swim in the water, as it is in June 30th right now, when you're saying people can't go swim in the water, well, is the water safe today and the beaches should be open or is the water dangerous on July 1st and the beaches should be closed? Like one of those is true. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to answer that. They didn't want to answer that. And uh, so we're battling with the county right now. And for all the viewers out there, like, I want you to know, where am I going to be spending my 4th of July weekend is going to be in Coronado in the water because the water is safe. Water is just as safe this summer as it has been all previous summers. So if you've ever enjoyed swimming in our oceans in previous summers, you're going to enjoy swimming in our ocean now. Uh, I would, unless you have a gaping wound or you're drinking the water, like you're, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. Which you shouldn't be doing anyway. I don't think you exactly. should be yeah. going in the ocean with a gaping wound or drink. I, I don't drink a no. lot of seawater. It's not good right. for you. Don't do it. Yeah. I, I'm not a doctor, but it's, I'll tell you this. That's not good for you. You ever see any of the dogs down at Coronado Dog Beach when they go a little too much on the, the water and they start drinking too much of it and see what happens? Yeah. It's a little it messy. usually comes right back up. So yeah. it's yeah. not a pretty sight. So don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But no, you're, I mean, your question really kind of speaks volumes to how county policy can affect local governments. And let's put it this way. If the county does not update their testing protocol and, and put some new procedures in place and hopefully go back to using the other state-sanctioned test, um, Imperial Beach will never be open again, like ever for, for, for several years. Imperial Beach's beaches won't be open. Yeah. And Coronado's beaches, you know, we're, we're on average, we have anywhere from maybe like a week to two weeks over the entire year on average where our beaches are shut down. Um, um, our beaches will, will end up being roughly 60. Once again, not, not wanted to implement. It was a beer crack decision. There so, we go. And that's one. There, yep. Did that lose you for a second? Oh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, must be all the activity over where you're near. Um, and, and this is, I guess, is a good thing to end on when it comes to local politics. And people always ask me, I post something and it's something about, uh, you know, Dr. Wilma Wooten or people like this. And they say, well, what can we do? What can we do? And they always immediately want to say, well, can we sue them? Can we do this? I'm like, here's the, the, the God's honest truth. You got to get out and vote. You got to change your local politics. You know, this is, and yep. I think the biggest lesson people should take away from this specific podcast is it's all a big web and it's all a big cycle. You know, who sure. you elect as mayor of Coronado makes a difference on who is in Sandag. 
who could possibly be running and county of supervisors. Um, it, it all comes around and, and you know, it's all interconnected. So don't like just skimp over those local politicians who's running for your city council. Um, even if you think it doesn't really make a difference, it does make a difference, right? It does absolutely make a difference in the Huge end. Huge difference. If we had the balance of power on the county board right now, I know for a fact I could get the county to change their testing standards in Coronado. And, and let's be honest here, whether or not you can use the beach in Coronado or whether or not you can have that pothole fixed on your street or you can get to or from work on that new highway, like that actually affects your day-to-day life, your quality of life a lot more than who the senator from Oklahoma is, or I mean, in many mm-hmm. ways, who the president of the United States is. And that's not to say those races aren't important, but your day-to-day life is always going to be much more impacted by the people that represent you locally. So my last question for you is, because I was, I was reading this article because you uh, did a, an event with San Diego Young Republicans, and there was a, you know, a piece from the San Diego News Desk about it. Um, and you had shared about you know, when you ran for city council a little bit, um, would you be able to shed a little bit light on it? Because I thought it was a very interesting read. I had read that you had won by, like, it was a very close margin. And um, when you were out walking precincts, you know, there were people that, you know, you had, you know, mixed bag of different experiences when you're canvassing. And I think, um, shout out to Brad Gerbel. I, he texted me that he's watching the show right now. And you <laughs> met him when you were canvassing. He's your right-hand man. Yeah. Love to be able yeah. to kind of close on that note. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, one of the things you learn about politics is that it, it politics just comes down to relationships and whoever has the most relationships. And I'm I'm so fortunate to have a, a great team of people, um, most notably uh, Brad Gerbel, who I met early on in politics and uh, has become not just my right hand man um, with campaigns, but also one of my best friends. And it's been a very, very rewarding experience for me. Uh, but one of my favorite stories to tell uh, is when I was first running for office here, I was 26 years old in Coronado, uh, running for city council and Coronado's demographics, um, especially back, you know, 10 years ago, skewed a little more older than it does today, actually. And knock, I went and I knocked on every single likely voters door twice. And I credit that to helping me win. And the reason I credit that for helping me win is because oftentimes when I would knock on someone's door and I'd introduce myself, hear what they had to say, kind of make my pitch. Um, oftentimes they would tell me, hey, look, don't get discouraged. You're, you're, you're a little too young. Um, you're probably not going to win, um, but don't be discouraged. You know, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. Um, I'd, I'd shake their hand, you know, thank them, for their t- thank them for their time. And as I would turn to walk away, uh, oftentimes they would say, you're not going to win, but, you know, I'm still going to vote for you. I'm still going to vote for you. And that happens quite a few times. And I ended up winning that first election by just over 100 votes. And uh, so I'll never forget that. And, and to this day, um, when I'm out and about in town and talking to people, like to this day, I'll still have people say, I remember when you knocked on my door like you know, 10 years ago. And it makes a big impact on people and it brings it back to it's all about relationships. And so if you have if you have great relationships with a large number of people, um, you can you can win any election and, and hopefully they'll help hold you accountable to do what's right for uh, for your community. And 100 votes is and when everybody says, oh, my vote doesn't matter. Why even vote? I say some of these races are decided by less than 100 votes and they're very, very close. So every vote does actually matter in the end. So go out and do actually vote for your local politicians or local politics. Um, Richard, thanks for coming on. We don't want to take up too much of your time heading into the Fourth of July weekend. Um, Where can people find you if they want to follow you? do you have any plans outside of mayor of Coronado for future politics or are you not ready to say anything quite yet? You know, I, I was, I was previously, uh, I was going through with a run for Congress and just from redistricting, it didn't quite work out. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer and there there's, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be a blessing in disguise and, uh, you never know what's around the corner. So, uh, I, I think after we'll get through this November, 2022 election cycle, and I think some things will open up um for the for the 2024 election cycle and might be able to help continue representing coronado on a on a bigger on a bigger stage so we'll see we'll see check back in with me next year awesome and where can people find you and follow you on social media uh instagram and facebook if they uh if they search for richard bailey i should pop up 
And then uh, richardbailey.com is our website currently down because we're making some updates to it. But uh, yeah, looking to stay connected with people out there. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Have a great 4th of July weekend. Uh, Stay cool this weekend. Um, And don't drink lots of... Yeah, don't drink lots of salt water. I promise you I will not be doing that. Yeah, yeah. We'll find something. And don't go in with any open gaping wounds or whatever. So... (laughs) Thank you, Richard, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, I know I made a post about on Instagram, um, but honestly, like, I just want good human beings in politics. Same. I just feel like that's such a hard request. I think, like, if politicians in general were more like you, I feel like the world would be a better place. So, you know, thank, thank you for coming on. I was really looking forward to this. Um, yeah, so hopefully we can have you back on in the future soon. We love that. Thank you both for having me, and thanks for spreading the word about local uh, local issues. It means a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks. And as I always end every show, if you like this, text a friend, let them know, and uh, yeah, have a good Fourth of July, everybody. Good night. So, I guess. Good night. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 